Good morning, everybody. My name is Josh, and I'm going to read our scripture for us this morning. We're going to be looking at Psalm 119, which is actually the longest psalm, and we're not going to read the whole thing. We're going to start in verse 25 and kind of bounce around a little bit. So starting in verse 25, it says this, I lie in the dust, revive me by your word. I told you my plans, and you answered. Now teach me your decrees. Help me understand the meaning of your commandments, and I will meditate on your wonderful deeds. I weep with sorrow. Encourage me by your word. Keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. I have chosen to be faithful. I have determined to live by your regulations. Teach me your decrees, O Lord. I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding and I will obey your instructions. I will put them into practice with all my heart. Make me walk along the path of your commands, for that is where my happiness is found. Give me an eagerness for your laws rather than a love for money. Turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. Reassure me of your promise made to those who fear you. Remember your promise to me. It is my only hope. Your promise revives me. It comforts me in all my troubles. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you were with us last week, Chad preached, I think, what might be one of my favorite sermons he's ever preached. Um, and if you weren't with us and you missed it, please go listen. Um, you can go to our Vimeo page or our podcast. You can find it loads of places. Um, but go find it. I promise that it will be good for you and good for your soul. Um, but he got us started, Chad did last week, in a new series that we're calling Formed. Um, we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about spiritual formation. Uh, spiritual formation, it is uh, sort of a deep faith phrase uh, found in often contemplative circles for what it means to grow in Christ, what it means to be drawn to the Father and formed into the image of Jesus and empowered by the Spirit. It's, it's that process. That's what spiritual formation is. Um, last week, Chad used my very favorite definition of spiritual formation. It comes from a guy named Robert Mulholland, and it's the, um, it, 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 this definition will kind of be the rails that we're going to follow over the next few weeks. So Robert Mulholland, um, he defines spiritual formation like this. He says, it's the process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. The process of being uh, conformed to the image of Jesus for the good of the world. Uh, today, we're going to talk about a piece of that formation, uh, that conformation uh, called spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines. Um, because the reason that we want to talk about these is, things is because a formed life, a formed life with Jesus, it is a practice-based life. It's a life that um, takes showing up day after day, week after week, year after year, practicing the things of Christ, the ways of Jesus through the power of the Spirit. And so to talk about this, I want to tell you a story about a friend of mine who, um, for his protection, I'm going to call Clarence. Uh, in college, Clarence decided that he wanted to run a marathon. And maybe some of you have done that. Maybe you've had that experience. You 
were inspired in some way to run 26.2 miles in a row. Um, you practiced, you trained, uh, most likely for months, maybe years. Uh, you worked hard and you built strength and endurance and uh, you worked your way into being able to run a marathon or maybe even to like qualify to be able to run a marathon in some cases. Uh, I think we can all agree that this is kind of the process uh, to form yourself in order to run a marathon. Um, but things went a little different for my friend Clarence. Um, Clarence, like most marathon runners, uh, he, he had a similar moment. He had this moment of inspiration, the I want to run a marathon moment. Uh, but what followed after that looked a little bit different. Uh, the story goes, I wasn't in the room, but the story goes that Clarence was sitting in a small group when someone was talking about, I think they were talking about losing weight and somebody was talking about training for a marathon. And that was the moment that the inspiration hit for him. And so out loud in the group, he says, I could run a marathon. And everyone kind of laughed and they're like, yeah, sure, Clarence. Okay. And, and so then, so back to the plan, we're going to do this. I'm going to train for this many months. And, and he says, no, 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 no. I could run a marathon today, today. And so everyone just starts dying laughing. Uh, they're like, you can't run a marathon today. And he's like, yes, I can. I can absolutely run a marathon today. And it's important that you know that uh, Clarence is like, I don't know, 6'3 or something. He, he, he's over 300 pounds. He, he doesn't have like a runner's body, more like an offensive lineman body. And so he's saying, I can run a marathon today. And everyone is like, there is absolutely no way that you can run a marathon today. And the legend goes that Clarence said, yes, I can. I can and I will. I will run a marathon today. Day. All I need to do is get my tennis shoes. He hasn't trained at all. It's not like he's in this prime physical condition that he's sort of ready to go at any moment. Uh, he is a regular person sitting in a group of people who has decided that in a matter of minutes he is going to run 26.2 miles. It's insanity. Uh, and then the bets start coming in from his friends. And at some point, there are hundreds of dollars on the table that will go into Clarence's pocket if he can run a marathon. And I think it was like seven hours. They gave him a seven-hour time limit. He's like, I can absolutely do that. Uh, and so he is 100% sure that this is possible. So Clarence, he goes and he, he gets his tennis shoes because that's all he says he needs. I think somebody goes to the store and gets like water or uh, those goo packs that marathon runners uh, have. Um, and so they all meet at Lakeshore Park in Knoxville. And um, if you've ever been to Lakeshore Park in Knoxville, the loop of Lakeshore, so if you run uh, the loop, it's a, a little bit over two miles. So the plan is that Clarence will run the loop approximately 13 times in order to complete this marathon. And so his buddies, they position themselves all around the loop to check in and to cheer him on. And so he takes off and, and he starts running. And so Clarence being completely untrained, his strategy is that he's, uh, if you've been to Lakeshore, there's a lot of hills. And so his strategy is that he's going to walk the hills and he's going to run the straights. And that's how he's going to run this marathon, walk the hills and run the straights. And so he gets to the first hill and it's at th that point, uh, hill number one, that he realizes that his strategy and the pace he needs to complete it are completely way off. And, uh, and so that's a really unfortunate thing to, on hill one of mile one, find that your entire strategy for your race is not going to work at all. But that's what happens to him. But, but he keeps going and he's, and he's running and he, he gets to loop one and he gets to loop two and he's gooing up every loop. Somebody's handing him some Gatorade goo. And I mean, he's, he's going and, and then he gets to loop three and he's six miles in and his entire body is hurting. 
in every way, everything is hurting. His legs are killing him. He's bleeding in places that uh, you're not supposed to bleed. Uh, and, but he keeps on running. He's just running and running. And then sometime in the middle of loop four, he starts limping. And he's like, I'm not gonna make it. And he's, and he's hurting bad, but he's still got it. He's giving it all he's got. And around mile number eight, the story goes that Clarence threw his hands in the air and yelled out to absolutely no one, I'm done! I'm done! I can't do it anymore. Around uh, eight miles in, Clarence, he throws in the towel. He's done. Uh, the next day, the doctor told him how to treat his stress fractures that he had in both of his legs um, and how to uh, balm his very chafed body. Uh, but soon after, Clarence ordered a 26.2 uh, sticker for his car, those bumper stickers that said 26.2 miles that, that marathon runners put on the back. He ordered one of those and he slapped it on the back of his car. And somebody said, you can't put that sticker in your car. You didn't run a marathon. And he said, that's incorrect. I absolutely ran a marathon. I just did not complete a marathon. Um, though I feel like eight miles on an incredibly untrained body is incredibly impressive. Um, I think the problem with my friend Clarence is that um, he thought what it took to become a marathon runner was the desire to run a marathon that with the desire, he could imitate what successful marathon runners do uh, when they're on the starting line. Um, what he vastly underestimated, though, was that running a marathon starts long before the gun goes off, long before the starting line. Marathons, they happen in the weeks and the months and the years before big races. They happen in the training, uh, the food, the, the stretches, the strategies, the daily regimen of running. You don't gain the ability to run a marathon just from the desire to run one. You gain the ability by exerting a great deal of, of, of attention and uh, effort into that desire. I think that we often make the mistake of taking my friend Clarence's approach uh, to, the to the marathon. Uh, we, we make the mistake of taking that same approach in our lives with Jesus and our spiritual formation. Uh, for so many of us, we have treated spiritual formation as being mostly about the desire to follow Jesus. We look at Jesus, who we think is absolutely wonderful. We, we think he is great, and we see how he loved, and how he served, and how he lived, and, and we desire to follow him, uh, to follow his example. And sometimes we do it for a while, a few days or a few weeks, or if you're like me, sometimes a few hours. Uh, we hear a sermon, uh, like what Chad preached last week on Kingdom Purpose, or a sermon uh, like one we did a few months ago on the ethics of anger. And, and, and we hear something like that, and we have this desire in us, this um, desire for empowerment and this desire for change. And, and so we hear it, and we desire it. And so we, we try really, really hard to not be so angry or to find ways uh, to serve the world, to live out our purpose. And, and we do that for a little while and then something happens or time goes by or we get distracted or there's a global virus or whatever and we suddenly wake up and we are no further or deeper or more equipped or empowered than we were before and then this thing uh, that happens when we wake up and we're disappointed it has this ability to trigger awful things in us Shame and shooting on ourselves, shooting on ourselves, and uh, criticism or cynicism or hopelessness uh, because we've tried so many times and we just keep ending up in the same place. 
spiritual formation, it, it grows not on the starting line, but in a daily regimen. It's a slow and a lifelong process. Uh, there are sometimes really quick fixes, uh, but most often in this journey, many lessons that we learned are learned over and over and over and over again by showing up day after day, week after week, and year after year. The Gospels, they show us pictures of so many of Jesus's starting line moments, the wild miracles, the beautiful teachings, some truly incredible things. But often uh, we don't spend as much time looking at the moments between the moments, the moments of practice. The Gospels, they, they show us plenty of those. Jesus's regular practice of getting away by himself or his practice of prayer or sleep, his knowledge of the scriptures, his practice of community and conversation and breaking bread. Dallas Willard, he says that a spiritual discipline is an activity within our power that enables us to accomplish what we cannot do by direct effort. Essentially, a spiritual practice or discipline is the training ground for the work of the kingdom. If we want to be formed in the image of Jesus for the sake of being able to do wild and impossible things that, that happen when we join God in the renewal of all things, it starts with the first part of that sentence, joining God. Joining God, practicing the ways of Jesus, not just on the starting line, but in our regular everyday lives, the daily regimen. In order to be empowered to accomplish what we can't do on our own, empowered for kingdom work. Showing up day in and day out for things like silence and solitude and prayer and fasting and feasting and reading the Bible and um, intimate community and confession by engaging in practices that are possible for us. We are formed into the image of Christ for the good of the world. Being formed with Jesus, it's a practice-based life. Uh, I sometimes feel like Christian culture has sold us a fake view of information. A view that says, go to this camp or this retreat or conference or prayer service or revival or class or whatever, uh, whatever, whatever. And, and then we get so high on Jesus and then we spend uh, the rest of our lives bouncing from high to high with not that much in between other than just trying not to sin so much. But that is kind of the equivalent of Clarence running a marathon. So uh, you may be asking, what actually is a spiritual practice? What is a spiritual discipline? Is it just like reading your Bible and praying? Um, kind of. Uh, kind of. I took a class a couple of years ago called Faith Walking Through the Vineyard. And, and I want to read their answer here because I think it's really good. This is what they say. They say, when we refer to spiritual practices, we are including the classic disciplines of prayer and fasting, confession, solitude, and so on. But we're also including going to counseling and meeting with an AA sponsor or sh slowing the pace of your life down so that you can reflect on your own experiences. We are talking about eating well and sleeping well and exercising. All of these things, they have impact on or give us access to our inner lives. Uh, Thomas Merton, who is a um, famous contemplative writer, he says this, he says, a life is either all spiritual or not spiritual at all. Meaning that there are things that we do that impact and form and give us access to our inner lives, to our most true selves. 
these things, they are deeply spiritual and they have the ability uh, to connect us and, and engage us and transform us with and through Jesus. When he is given access to them and authority over them, these things are spiritual practices. Spiritual practices, they're not religious activities. Religious activities, they focus on outward rules and outward traditions. Whereas spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines, they focus on the inner life. They focus on an in, inward transformation. For example, you can read your Bible every single day and it be a spiritual practice and you can read your Bible every single day and it be a religious activity. I, I have for entire seasons of my life um, only been able to describe my Bible reading as a religious activity. There are uh, also ways to read the Bible in a way that allows it the authority to engage with you, uh, to change you, to refresh and to renew and to encourage you. Uh, ways to read it where it doesn't feel like checking something off a checklist, but connection with God, connection to God. Spiritual practices, they aren't things that we do to win points or favor with God. They aren't religious activity. They are the things that we do to live out the fullness of our belovedness as children of God, as sons and daughters of the King. Spiritual practices, uh, they are also not about just managing or making up for our sin. They are about connection to the Father. Uh, I've read before that spiritual formation at its core uh, is a process by which we engage with Christ as he changes us. There are things that we do where we engage with Christ as he changes us. That is key because spiritual practices, they aren't about checking off a to-do list. Uh, this is, there are a lot of people who read their Bible every single day, who pray every single day, who tithe exactly 10%, um, but they do these things without connection. Uh, without engaging Jesus and, and allowing him to change us. Um, this is how sometimes really awful and destructive and terrible things are done and said by people who, who read their Bibles every single day. People who have a desire for Jesus without actually engaging and connecting with him in a way that is transformational. The truth is, uh, we're constantly being formed in the world. We're being formed by the things in our lives, by uh, the things we put ourselves in proximity to or engage with or, or give authority or voice to. Uh, but Christian spiritual formation, spiritual formation in the name of Jesus is an intentionality of entering into the formation process with Jesus, with connection to the Father. Uh, the second quote, or part of the quote, the Thomas Merton quote that I read just a second ago, uh, says something that feels like a punch in my stomach every time I read it. Here's what he says. He says, your life is shaped by the end that you live for. You are made in the image of what you desire. You are made in the image of what you desire. Spiritual practices, they're the, the means of our formation. They aren't things that we do to win favor with God. They are things that shape us into the image that we desire. We don't read our Bibles or pray or fast or feast or go to counseling or do whatever uh, for favor. We do these things for connection. We do these things uh, uh, because they are the way that we live out the fullness of our belovedness as children of God, as sons and daughters of the King. They're about connection. 
So here's what we're going to do as a church for the next couple of weeks. Um, really throughout this whole series, uh, we are going to be really tactical by giving you resources um, for spiritual practices, readings and videos, sermons, podcasts, all kinds of things uh, that we are going to put in your hands via our social media. So ways that you can read the Bible that might help you with connection and transformation, uh, ways that you can pray that might better your connection with the Lord, uh, resources and practices that we use ourselves as the staff of the Springbrook Vineyard. Um, if you're not on social media, which is probably a spiritual practice of yours, that's a really, really good one. Um, if you're not on social media, if you will email me, um, I'll put my email in the chat, I will send you resources that will help you. I'll send you whatever we send to everybody else. We'll get those in your hands as well. Um, and then we're also going to have some opportunities in the coming weeks to, uh, to ask other people that we love and that we trust what their practices look like in their own life. So uh, more to come on these things. Um, but for right now, we're going to do one of our spiritual practices as a church. Uh, every Sunday that we meet, uh, we do Selah. And Selah is a spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual practice. It's uh, an intentionally quiet moment every single Sunday uh, to make room for Jesus to have access to our inner lives. Uh, for Selah today, I'm going to do something that we've been doing a lot this summer. Um, I'm going to reread the verses, just two of the verses that Josh read earlier um, in our text. Uh, for me, and I'm going to read them a couple times. For me, uh, this is a practice of mine that I use in my everyday life. I will read the same verses, um, just one or two, and I will read them over and over and over, giving myself like a quiet pause in between. Um, I sort of read it till I believe it situation. Um, so feel free to follow along, or you can close your eyes and listen and just receive the words from Psalm 119. Um, I think they're really timely verses, so I'm going to read them three times with a quick break in between for Selah. So, Psalm 119, verse 49. Remember your promises to me. It is my only hope. Your promise revives me. It comforts all, me in all my troubles. Remember your promise to me. It is my only hope. Your promise revives me. It comforts me in all my troubles. Remember your promise to me. It is my only hope. Your promise revives me. It comforts me in all my troubles. Amen. <laughs> 